Hey, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Hey, I got some good news. How many want some good news? Okay, five of you. Okay, is that it? Um, it's 2021. Aren't you glad for that? Okay, will you, are you awake this morning? I don't know what's going on. Um, Happy New Year. We are so glad that you're with us uh, here this morning. Those of you that are live uh, here in person, those of you who are watching us online, we're so glad to have you with us this morning. And we've been, um, we started a new series last week of how to navigate this new year and how can we prepare our hearts for the uncertainty of this world. And I believe the word of God speaks to that. Um, for me, I don't know if, if you're like this, but when we go through times of uncertainty and things that we don't understand um, and we're grappling with things and we want answers, isn't it easy just to turn to these simplistic, give me just three steps on how to get out of this? And, and I wish there was just these easy answers and these one, two, three steps, ABC to help you with your life and all the things that we struggle with or that we're going through or maybe you're going through today. But I, I want to tell you this morning that the thing we need the most is to understand God's word and to immerse ourselves in God's word and to know that God's word does instruct us when life seems uncertain or when we're going through a season that it seems like it's a winter season. Now, I know for New York, it feels like we're in winter all the time, right? You think March comes, supposed to be spring, and then we know, well, July's coming and it's going to be warm. Um, And you may feel like you're in that winter season right now and you just feel like, man, I just can't take any more. And I want us to realize this morning that God's word shows us that we can stay evergreen, that we can still stay vibrant in the Lord even when we're living through times of uncertainty or we're in a season where it just feels like I'm in this winter season where God seems to be silent. And I want us to know, just as we so beautifully sang this morning, that God is with us even through those times. And I want to give you two scriptures today uh, as a basis for what we're going to be talking about today in the Old Testament that shows how God is faithful to us even in those times of uncertainty and how God can help us through those times and still give us a joy even in the uncertainty and allow us to remain evergreen even when we don't feel it and that God is faithful with us through those winter times. And so I want to look at at just a couple of scriptures today, um, starting right off. I want to look at Psalms chapter 1. I want to look at the book of Hosea, the prophet Hosea. And starting off in the book of Psalms, we're going to look right at the first three verses of the book of of Psalms. And I want us to look at how we can stay green, and not only stay green, but thrive in those times of uncertainty. And that we can find these promises and the God and God's word that will help us during these times. So let's look at Psalms 1, verses 1 through 3. You can look at the screens, look at your Bibles, on your phones, whatever you want. Um, the first time we're reading out of the New International Version, it says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stands in the way that sinners take or sits in the company of mockers. But those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night And listen how the psalmist describes this person. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaves does not wither, whatever they do prospers. And then look at Hosea, same thought here in Hosea 14.8. It says, O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. 
or evergreen, and all your fruit comes from me. Now, I don't know about you, but I love evergreen trees. And and what we're seeing in the Word of God, it describes someone who relies on the Lord as a tree who is evergreen. Now, the difficult part of living in New York in the winter is that all the leaves are off the trees. And the only thing that's green are the evergreen trees, the fir trees, the pine trees, the hemlock, the spruce, the cedar. And I love the Adirondacks in the winter where they have so many different types of of evergreen trees and just the snow that comes on those trees and it contrasts against the white snow and the green trees and the hemlocks and the fir trees. Listen, I'm trying to help us here. New York is terrible in the winter. Can you just work with me, people? I mean, we're trying to help us out here in the wintertime. And to, to me, it's beautiful. I love getting a real tree for Christmas. I don't know if some of you like cutting down your tree or having that tradition. We started that tradition some years back where we go out with the family uh, cut down the Christmas tree, bring it into our house, the, the, the fragrance of that fir tree in your house. That's nice, isn't it? I mean, it just gives you something to look forward to. So I, we enjoy doing that. And uh, this year was a very special year for us. We able to cut down our Christmas tree. And the reason why this year was so unique and so special for us this year, it took us only 10 minutes to get our tree. It wasn't five hours like last year. So... We, we go and we get our tree and it's like right off the road. It's like right there. It's like, ta-da, there's a light shining over it. You know, it's just there. It was right there. And I'm like, this is amazing. And, and I go, Kathleen, just remember, this is a big tree. Remember, the trees look smaller when they're outdoors. Have you ever done that? Oh, this will fit in our house. And you get, in the, you know, the tops bent over. And so this thing, this tree is huge. That's why no one else cut it down. That's why it was so close to the road. That's why it was available. So I gave instructions to my wife, specific instructions. I said, I'm going to get the car, pull it around so we can get the tree. They're going to have to take off at least three to four feet off this tree. Now, do you understand? Okay, okay, I'll make sure. We get there, the tree comes over, and I see the tree standing up. And I'm like, honey, I don't think they took three to four feet off. She goes, well, I don't want to wreck the branch because it looks so beautiful. So we get the the tree on the car and there's like four feet off the front, four feet off the back. I mean, it's, it's huge. So we, we've, you know, luckily we have high ceilings in our living room. So we get the tree in, we put it up and it's the biggest tree we ever had. And I measured it 13 feet. We had 13 foot at, with a foot off. It would have been like 25 feet if we didn't cut. The, it was just huge tree, but it was fun and it looks beautiful. And we're leaving it there till July just because I'm not taking that thing down. It's just too, too big. But listen, What I love about the Word of God, it describes those that seek the Lord, those that meditate on God's Word, those that delight in God's Word, is described as one who is evergreen. And that's what I want to look at today. They are always green, just like those trees that are evergreen. They're always a place of shelter and security for those that nest in it, for the birds. Um, In fact, when I... uh, my family moved here 21 years ago to become the pastor at Living Word. Our seniors group was called the Evergreens. That was our, our senior group. And I think when we first came here, the, um, the age for the Evergreens was 65 and older. And, uh, and then they, they backed it off and they said, well, we'll make it for 60 and older. And then, okay. And then a couple years later, they go, well, let's do 55 and older. I'm like, okay. And then they moved it to 50. And I'm like, what are we, AARP now? I mean, you're just this, you know, it's just it got younger. And it's, it's kind of the running, 
running joke uh, of, of making it to the evergreens at 50, and now I'm there. I'm an evergreen. I'm an evergreen now. But I want to look at Psalms 1 and Hosea because I believe these two passages of Scripture answer the question for us of how to stay evergreen during uncertainty or those times that we go through those winter seasons. Now, I don't know what 2021 has in store for us, but I know it's not going to be a surprise to the Lord. So the question that I have for you is how do we stay green in winter seasons and how do we remain faithful to God and keep growing when God seems silent or when things don't seem like they're going our way? And I don't know about you, but you know it just feels like, man, this has been a, a season of, 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 of winter for a long time. And I want to look at these two passages and I want us to understand what it means to be evergreen. And so the psalmist in Psalm 1 says this, we must delight and meditate in his law. So the law of the Lord is more than the Ten Commandments. It speaks to the whole word of God. And so the Bible is for our instruction on how we should walk before the Lord. So that is what the psalmist is telling us to do. He says, listen, for those who are going to stay evergreen, for those who are, are going to hear from the Lord, and, 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 and get their substance from the Lord, those are the ones that meditate and delight on, on God's word. So I want, to just, I, I want us just to just take a little rabbit trail. It's not a rabbit trail, this is good. But I want us to understand why we can trust the word of God. Why the word of God has to be the thing that we rely on because it's the truth of God. It's the thing that leads us in all paths of righteousness. And I love what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy as he's pastoring about the word of God and why we should trust the word of God is our sole source of strength. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, which means the Holy Spirit is the author. God breathed into men to write down what God desired for us to understand and know. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And what we can see in this passage is we can trust the word of God. Notice what the Apostle Paul says about all scripture. All scripture is God-breathed. And what I love about the words all scripture, it means all-inclusive. Not just parts, but all. The word God-breathed, there are actually two Greek words that are put together. It's the word theos and the word neo, which means to breathe. God is the author. The Holy Spirit is the author given to us so that we can walk in God's teaching, we can hear the correction of the Lord, and it trains us in righteousness. So why do we believe that the Bible is the word of God? Well, I'm going to just give you two quick answers real quick. We could spend a whole series on this. But let me just give you two things for us to understand this morning on why we can trust the word of God and why we have to rely on the word of God. Just two quick things right here. I want you to understand that the Bible passes the test of consistency. The Bible was written, listen, this is incredible for those of you who don't know this. The Bible was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages. Can you imagine trying to get 40 different authors together to write on one topic and then throw in 1,500 years, they would be all over the place. And then you give different diverse backgrounds. It amazes me how the Bible does not contradict itself. And so we see the consistency of the word of God because it is 
the word of God. The Bible also passes the test of prophetic accuracy. The Bible does not shy away from biblical prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy. And it's very specific on how it is fulfilled. The Bible has well over a thousand prophecies, 300 alone concerning Jesus. It predicts where Jesus would be born, that a star would be a sign. Uh, it predicts his lineage, lineage how uh, much Jesus would be betrayed for, how he would die, how he would rise again. The wise men coming into Jerusalem were looking for this king of the Jews, and they got this answer from the scribes who understood the prophetic writings in the Old Testament, and they told him that he would be born in Bethlehem. How much more specific can we be on knowing the exact small little town where Jesus would be born? It's astronomical, the probability of these prophecies coming true in just one man. We can trust the word of God. And so the psalmist tells us to actually meditate on the word of God. So what does this mean? What does it mean to meditate? Because when we think of the word meditate, I know sometimes we think of this Eastern meditation where, you know, you hold your hands up and you say, oh, oh, you know, you, and basically when we think of meditation, it's basically what Eastern meditation is, you're emptying your mind and letting it be filled with whatever. But what is biblical meditation? Because I just don't want to shy away from that word because the word of God tells us to meditate on God's word. So what's the biblical definition of meditate? Well, we're to fill our minds with the word of God and we're to fix our minds on God's truth, not some subjective idea with no substance. The word of God has substance. It's truth. It passes the test. Jesus passes the test. Jesus is authentic. He proved who he was through his life, death, and resurrection. See, if we do not fix our hearts and mind on Christ's word, on God's word, our hearts can be easily led astray. I heard this interesting story of a 17th century British minister. His name was Richard Baxter. And he went through a real difficult time in his life where he had an illness that almost led him to death. And so he was bedridden for, for many, many months. And when he recovered, he wrote a book about what it meant to meditate on God's word. He learned as he was working through his illness what it truly meant just to immerse himself in the word of God. And through his illness, he learned many specific things. And so he wrote a book about it. And he defined meditation. I, I love this. He defined meditation as fixing your mind on a biblical truth and then speaking it to your heart until you feel God's nearness and his sense of presence. You just keep speaking it and speaking it to your heart until you feel his sense of presence and that he is near. See, biblical meditation is taking the truths of God and allowing them to take hold of your heart until it becomes real and alive. So meditation takes discipline. I don't know about you, but it's so easy to get distracted. And our minds wander so easily. But if we can actually meditate on the truth of God's word. So if I feel fearful or I feel alone and I meditate on the promises of God that said, that say nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That God will never leave us or forsake us. If we meditate on that and meditate on it, it's God's truth. It stands the test of time. And when that grabs hold of our hearts and our minds, we can feel God's nearness and his presence. And the fear and the anxiety of this world seem to dissipate under the pressure of God's promises. Let God's promises 
And let God's word and the truth of his word be the thing that overshadows everything else that can so easily distract us and wane for our attention and rob our joy in Christ Jesus. And so Richard Baxter learned this while he was sick and almost dying of what it meant to be close to God and to keep reminding himself. Now here's the difficult thing. Here's the difficult thing. Because the psalmist tells us to meditate and delight. And I think what's harder out of those two is not necessarily the meditation, but I think it's delighting ourselves in the Lord. And, and what do I mean by that? Um, when we're told to delight our, ourselves in the Lord, it, it means that we are to delight or pleasure ourselves, to have a joy in the Lord. Now, I think this is the more difficult part than actually the discipline of meditation. Because here's the difficult thing about delighting ourselves in the Lord. It's hard to delight ourselves in God's law, in his word, when things aren't going our way. It, it's an attitude, delighting ourselves in the Lord is an attitude of our heart that we're rejoicing in what God has done and who he is and the character of God. Now, when things aren't going well, that can once again overshadow our hearts and rob the joy that God desires to give to us. It's like, remember giving your kids, you know, maybe you're in that stage where you have chores for your kids. Don't they just love doing chores? Now, if you have kids that are like that, God bless you. I mean, God, you're doing something right. You know, God bless you. But, but for the rest of us, you know, the kids just don't jump up and down and say, yeah, I'm ready to take out the garbage. Dad, can I take out the garbage? Is it Monday? Is it Monday? Because I can't wait. Yes, I get to take out the garbage. I don't know any family that had their kids jumping up and down. And so what they do, it's a chore. And for a parent, you just want them to delight in taking out the garbage, right? Wouldn't it be nice once if they just were skipping as they were taking out the garbage? I'm so glad to serve you, Mom and Dad. Thank you for all you do for me. I'm going to pay. Is there anything else that I can do for you? Because you're my parents and I love you. Right? That doesn't happen. They're, you know, they're dragging the bag and garbage is falling off the back and just kicking the door and throwing it in. And you're just like, can you just, can you just change your attitude? And, and it's like this. The, the attitude is this. You know, I'll do it, but I don't like it. Right? And it, if we're not careful, that's how we can be with God's word. We can just read it, but not delight in it. That's why I think delighting ourselves in God's law is much harder than it is to meditate on it. Because when we delight ourselves in God's word, what we're saying, God, no matter what, I'm going to delight myself in this word. Even though your word may correct me, even though your word may hurt because it needs to correct some waywardness in my heart, I'm going to delight in that because I know you love me and I know what you did for me. And I'm going to delight in that because I'm your child. See, that's the harder thing is to delight. It's not always a joy to serve God when things aren't going our way. Have you ever read God's law and when you begin to read all the do's and the don'ts, it can easily get discouraged. We can easily be discouraged because we just feel like we mess up. And then you read God's law and you read his standard and you feel like, man, I messed up in my past or I just, I messed up. I messed up today. You know, I'm impatient you know, and, and we can easily get discouraged. And, and we can read the Ten Commandments in one of two ways. We can read it and we can say, man, what a mess up I am. And I've made so many mistakes in our lives and we feel like instant failures. Or we can read the commandments and say, oh, haven't done any of those. I'm good. And we compare ourselves with others and we become self-righteous by what we haven't done. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along. 
Jesus didn't come to lessen the standard of God's law. Jesus came to elevate it to a whole nother level. And what Jesus does, I, I want you to understand what Jesus actually says. Not how other people interpret what Jesus says. Here's what he says. On Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, what he says is, listen, even if you have lust in your heart, you committed adultery. Even if you have hatred in your heart, you've committed the act of murder. Now Jesus takes that law and he elevates it way up here. And he says, there's no way that you can in your own strength fulfill the law of God. So Jesus tells us that you might not have killed anyone, but harboring hatred in your heart, you've done the very thing of murder. See, how can we delight? Here's my question. How can we delight in God's word and not fall into the trap of despair? Because there's no way we could keep all 1,600, 613 different laws. You broke one, you broke them all. And then Jesus comes along and says, even if you have hatred in your heart, you committed murder in your heart. See, the law shows us that we are all failures and we could never keep the law perfectly in ourselves. Wait a minute, Pastor Barton, this makes no sense because Psalms 1 is telling me to delight in God's law. How can I delight in God's law when it seems like God's law is just setting me up to be a failure? How can I delight in God's law when it just feels like the rug is going to be pulled out from underneath me because one day I may feel real good about my walk with the Lord and then the next day I just feel like a failure? How does that work? How does that work? What do we do? Do we lower the standard of God's law to fit our lifestyle so that we don't feel guilty? That's not what Jesus did. And I'm afraid to say that many today, many churches are going that way, where they lower the standard of God's perfection in order to make us feel comfortable and less guilty about our sin and shame. But I want, I want you to understand that that's the whole purpose why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to make you feel better. Jesus didn't come as an attachment to your life with all the other things that you've done to be a self-help guru to you. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for our sin. And we're all objects of God's wrath. Jesus became an object of God's wrath in order to appease his holiness. The reason Jesus came was to die on a cross and become a substitute for you and I. The death should have been towards you and I, but Jesus in his perfect sinless life took the penalty on himself so that we could find forgiveness. That's why he came. We cannot water that down. And so that's why when Jesus came and set up that standard, that's a standard that none of us in our own strength can ever obtain. So how do we delight in something that could set us up for a failure? How do we stay evergreen and not allow the season of winter to overtake us or our failures to drive us into despair and move us away from God's word? I've got good news for you. I've got wonderful news. Hosea gives us the answer for our dilemma. Listen, we have to get to the point in our lives where we realize we can't do it in our own strength, that we cannot find righteousness in ourselves because we are all flawed and we've all fallen short of God's perfection. 
We have to understand that. So here's the good news for every single one of us. You want to hear some good news? Who wants some more good news today? All right, Hosea, let's read it again. Hosea 14.8. Here's the good news. I love this. It said, oh, oh Israel, stay away from idols. D- don't chase after those because their promises will not deliver. Don't chase after idols. It says, I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. Listen to how God describes himself. I am like a tree that is always green, evergreen. All your fruit comes from who? Me. Okay, let's unpack that. See, we can't do it ourselves. Our strength and our righteousness must come from God. So the answer for us to stay evergreen is through Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law for us and met all of its demands. Jesus came to appease the righteous standard of God for you and I. None of us in our own strength could ever appease God's holy standard. Through Christ, we are made righteous. So how can we delight in God's law? Because of Christ. He paved the way for us to be made right before God. So no matter what you go through, Jesus is with us. Find your strength in the one who overcame for you. I believe the reason why many Christians struggle in their walk with Christ is they're trying to be righteous within themselves or following some type of moralistic code that you might look good and you may look better than the next person, but are we more in love with our moralistic codes than we are with Jesus himself? The reason why we should chase after righteousness and chase after holiness is because of what Christ has already done for us. So my pursuit is not a pursuit within myself to make myself look better than everybody else or to look more holy than everybody else. My pursuit now becomes Jesus Christ. My aim becomes Jesus Christ. The reason why I can stay evergreen, even in the seasons of doubt or winter or uncertainty, is because I know Christ is walking with me and he's not going to let me go. He's not going to leave me. And even though I may have uncertainties, I know that Jesus is a certain God who was always with me and my strength comes from him. Just as Hosea said, I am the one who is evergreen. Jesus is the one who is evergreen. Jesus is the one who conquered sin and death for you and I. See, the, the promise that Jesus gives us is this, everything in your life will be wonderful, that nothing will ever bad happen to you. Is that true? No. Jesus says, I want to give you my peace, but listen, in this world, you're going to have what? Tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome this world. So through all my doubt and all my uncertainty when I don't feel God, I can trust Jesus because he is evergreen and my fruit, my fruit comes from him. He will nourish me through those times of uncertainty. So that's why, listen, this is so good. I need to hear this. I need to hear this. This is so good. That's why we are to meditate and delight in God's word. And my prayer for some of you who, who have not um, have set a discipline in your life where you read God's word every day, I, I, I'm praying that you jump on our Essential 100 reading plan and just as a church, I'm, I love hearing some of the questions that have been posed on Facebook. 
Um, it's been really good. Most of those questions have come from my mom. She's going crazy on there. Good questions, mom. Thank you for all who are helping my mom through this reading plan. She appreciates it. Um, but what I love about that is the dialogue that we're having and that we pray to have a hunger for God's word and that as we meditate on God's word, we're going to delight in it. So no matter what you're going through, you're going to discover that God is evergreen and he will give you his fruit to help sustain you through the drought and the winter times in your lives. The question is, do you trust him to do that? Well, the point in our life is we have to take that action step to do that, to turn away from idols and the things that don't deliver and to turn to God's word and allow his word to become the focal point of our life, to allow his word to sustain us. Now, listen, don't do it with the motivation that all your problems are going to you know, be overcome tomorrow. I don't know. In fact, it may get worse. I'm sorry, I should have ended the sermon like two minutes ago. I'm sorry, I, I should have ended it and prayed and put a bow on it and I'll go out the back door. No, listen, it may, but listen, that doesn't change the fact of who God is or his word. But he said, even in times of drought, I will be with you, turn away from idols. I will give you strength, I will give you fruit. I will be your source of strength. That's the question we need to ask ourselves. God, am I going to trust you and take these steps? See, I now strive after God because I know what he's done for me. I now want to live a holy life before God. My delight is in him. God's standards are for my good, not to hurt me or take away from me. They're good. The law is good. Jesus fulfilled all that for us. But if we're trying to strive after the law to fulfill my own righteousness, we're going we're to fail instantly. But if we strive after Christ, who's fulfilled the law for us, it's going to be a delight. And even though we may not understand everything, we know Jesus will be with us because he has gone before us. In Christ Jesus, we will not be forsaken even when we mess up or are having a bad day. And we will not be despised. I just want to close with this. We're going to take communion together. Um, But I was reading a devotion the other day, and um, in my devotion, they mentioned a book by Philip Keller. And the book um, was called As a Tree Grows. And it's interesting that we see the parallel and the symbolism of, of trees and evergreen trees in comparison to our life and how we can stay evergreen in the Lord and find our strength from him and how God describes himself as evergreen. And he, he made this interesting point about the trees in, in Lebanon. And it's a very mountainous region. And what they said about the trees in Lebanon is they're very close to the Mediterranean Sea. And it's, it's, it's an arid place, and it's a hot place. And what they described about these trees is the trees actually need darkness. Because what the darkness does is gives them a respite from all the heat of the day and the, and the sun, constantly having sun. And, and, and what they know about the trees in Lebanon is this, is that at night, many times a fog will roll in, and a mist will roll in, and a dew will roll in. And there's minerals from the Mediterranean Sea that will nourish the tree in the darkness. That will nourish the tree in the darkness. The sea nourishes the trees in Lebanon in the darkness. The darkness God uses to sustain and nourish those trees. And I want you to realize that even in 
your dark times, or maybe you're going through that now, God is faithful to nourish us, to give us his fruit. As we delight, as we meditate on God's word, I want you to know that even in your season of darkness or even in your season of uncertainty, God will still nourish you. When we are faithful to read his word, to meditate and delight in it, the promise there is God will sustain us through it. God will show us things that we would never see otherwise unless he brings us through those times. And our roots will grow deeper and stronger in him when we meditate on his word. And God's desire for each and every one of us is to be evergreen. Even when everything else around us seems like it's a drought or it's not ideal, in Christ Jesus, we can remain evergreen if we remain faithful to his word and to allow his word to speak to us, to challenge us, to comfort us. So that's my prayer for you today as we pray and as we take communion today, as we recognize that all this comes from Jesus. Jesus is our only source for hope and help, that he's done it all for you. Put your whole weight on Jesus Christ. He will not let you down. He has done everything for you to sustain you through this world. Aren't you glad that Jesus is truthful with us? I'm thankful for the standard of God because I've come to understand that when I look at the standard of God and his holiness, it humbles me to realize I need a savior. And I need Christ and I need his righteousness. And you know what? That's why God doesn't change his standards. He shows us that he's perfect. That God is a loving God, but he's a just God. And he has to deal with the severity of our sin because he knows our sin leads to death. But through Jesus Christ and what he did for us, that conquering sin on the cross leads to life and life eternally. So would you bow your hearts with me as we just pray and as we just prepare our hearts for communion today? And I pray that God's word would just encourage you and that, and that you would learn just to rely on Christ and what he has for you. So Father God, we come before you as we prepare our hearts for communion today. We just pray that you would just speak to every heart here today. And I don't know what everyone is going through, through today, but you do, Lord. And God, I pray that we would immerse ourselves in your word. That God, we would learn and we would meditate on it. And that we would also delight in it, knowing that you've accomplished everything for us. That your word shows us that we need a savior. And God, when we feel like failures or we feel like we've messed up, I pray that we would turn that right over to Christ right away knowing that in Christ Jesus we become new creations, new creatures. Behold, all things become new for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so our lives now are lived through him. Our righteousness now comes from him and not ourselves. So help us to delight in the fact that Jesus changes lives and that he will never leave us or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. May that encourage us today. We love you, we thank you, and we just ask these things 
In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's children said, Amen. I want you to take your communion cups out and we're going to take communion together. And I'm so grateful to be able to start this new year off by taking communion together. If you remember, take the top foil part off first. That opens up the wafer and then you can remove the next layer there and that will open up the juice. And I want you to just take the wafer out as we remember Jesus' body that was given for us, his blood that was shed for us. The word of God says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And so as we take communion together, Jesus says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus says, through my blood, he would make a covenant with God on behalf for you and I. That we could find forgiveness through Jesus. That his blood covers us. And so we're remindful that Jesus gave everything for us, that he gave his body for us. That it's through his body that, that, that we understand that he is the bread of life. That when we come to Christ, we will hunger no more. He satisfies all our desires. In Christ Jesus, we find life and forgiveness. And so we are grateful for his body that was given for us. So let's partake of the bread together. Amen. As you hold the cup in your hand, his blood was shed because there had to be a penalty for our sin, and he took that penalty upon himself by becoming our substitute. So it's through his blood that we're forgiven. And we believe that Jesus is God, that he's the only way to God, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through him, Jesus said. And so by partaking communion, we're we're proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And we're believing that he is the only one that can make us right before a holy God. And so as we partake of this today, it unites us as the family of God, knowing that Jesus covers all my sins, my past, my present, and my future sins. Isn't that good news? Amen? So through his precious blood, we find forgiveness for our hearts and our lives. So we put our trust in him and him alone. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Amen. God is good.